0: This is a socialist news and views special interview.
1: I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special interview. How's it going? Hey, it's going good. You hear me? All right. So on socialist news and views, we let folks introduce themselves. Do you want to just let folks know who you are?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so my name is Anthony. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a rank and file worker uh, with UFCW 663, uh, and I work at the, the Seward Co-op in South Minneapolis,
1: yeah. And, uh, recently Seward co-op workers reached a tentative agreement. I, I haven't seen uh, anything saying if they voted on it yet, but, uh, it included significant wage increases from what I understand. Uh, do you just want to talk about the organizing that went into that? And then, you know, what is actually in the agreement and where, where you guys are at with that right now?
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'll start with, um, yeah, so we did, uh, we, we did vote it through, um, unanimously actually. So, so the tentative agreement is actually, uh, is actually fully ratified now. Um, yeah, we ratified that last week. Um, and actually, uh, as we speak, uh, our paycheck that we got today had our new wages on it as well as, um, you know, almost two months of back pay from when our, when our contract had, uh, had expired on August 21st so brilliant, uh, brilliant. I, I genuinely actually forgot about that until just now I was very excited <laughs> about it on Tuesday when we found out yeah um, and now as I'm saying it, I'm like oh yeah I forgot to look at my bank account because it's going to be a nice check
1: so. yeah I mean this is this is <laughs> these are the kind of checks where you this is where it really hits that you know how important <laughs> union and organizing and unionization is when this kind of stuff hits seriously so yeah yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, so like getting back to your question. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, truthfully, you know, I mean, I think, uh, like with any type of organizing, right? I think it's, if you're on the outside, I think it's like really easy to to look at like the culmination of events. Right. Um, and just say like, oh, you know, like this just kind of like spontaneously happened. Um, and in reality, you know, like as like, activists and organizers like we know that like that's like <laughs> so not true right it takes um, so
1: much work right yeah
0: and, and like and not only like so much work it's like the like really boring mundane stuff that's like doesn't get talked about like uh, for good reason yeah cuz it's just it's not fun and it's <laughs> just you know uh tireless boring stuff um but yeah so i mean it, <clears throat> i think like you know uh the last contract was was ratified in August of 2020. Um, which, you know, I mean, like that's like the height of of COVID-19 pandemic, right? Um, the summer of 2020. Um, so I wasn't working at Seward Co-op at this time. So I wasn't around when that contract was was bargained and negotiated. Sure. Um, but you know, I think from a lot of the people that that I'd spoken with was at that time, you know, the the types of dollars and wages, that that workers at the sewer co-op had gotten at that time three years ago seemed you know very solid and fair and i think like in the grand scheme of things that's a fair assessment in august of 2020 right um but the reality is is that you know there was another three years of just incredible inflation cost of living increases um and also just you know like Uh, the types of, like, mental health issues that comes up as retail workers, um, you know, uh, or as, you know, the corporations like to call us heroes, you know. Yeah, right, right.
1: (laughs) Um, You know. um, Frontline workers, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, frontline workers, heroes, you know. Um, And, you know, over the course of three years, I, I think, like, what became really, really obvious to everybody was that, the wages were no longer sufficient right and like not even remotely sufficient and this isn't even saying that it's on anybody right because i don't think anybody could have looked at august 2020 and said by august of 2023 cost of living was going to go up by 19 percent right like this is like unprecedented i don't think anybody could have could have imagined this but it's the reality that like we as workers had to deal with right so you know, like we were having people who, you know, like the really veteran staff who had over 15 years of experience at the co-op, um, really got a bad deal on this last contract. And those folks, while there's not a lot of them, there, there's still a significant amount and the raises that they got over the course of three years was 25 cents per year. Right. And so we're, And so, you know, like they're higher up on the wage scale, right. Because they've got over 15 years of experience, but regardless, you know, even if you're making $23 an hour, 18% cost of living increase, these people were going from like 23 to 2375 in three years. Right. Right. Um, And when you look at it, like losing so much money. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, this is something that like everybody is really feeling. Um, So I think by like, around may of this year so may of 2023 is when um you know some of us in the rank and file were like okay we know that we've got bargaining and contract negotiations coming up in august um and we know that like just up and down the line workers just like can't pay their bills like it, it, it's just clear as day right because like right. you talk to each other on the shop floor like you know that like uh that you have a coworker that's struggling to pay rent or that somebody is getting their electricity turned off. Right. And like, these are like real things that you have to contend with. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like around may, um, was like, okay, like we need to figure out how to turn this up, how to get ourselves organized because I think it was to the point of, you know, two and a half years of working through the pandemic It's not like people didn't know that they were being exploited and that, like, you know, they weren't being paid enough because, like, you know, the overwhelming majority of workers know this instinctively. But um, a lot of people were really apathetic about it, right? Um, They had just kind of accepted that, like, yeah, this sucks, Mm -hmm. but, like, it's not really going to get much better. And there's not much I can do about it other than just, like, quitting this job and going to another shitty job that's not going to pay me that much either, right? Right. Um, so, I mean, it it was really like from that point, um, where we began to organize ourselves and built it up. Um, and you know, we, (laughs) (laughs) uh, there's a few of us, you know, like we kind of joked, um, uh, the idea of like you know, would we be able to get the numbers to to take a strike vote, you know, in, in August or September, way right. back in May. And, and, you know, people were like, there's no way, you know, <laughs> right? and, and, you know, when it came down to it, I mean, you know, I mean, we had an overwhelming majority passed um, to to ratify a strike vote uh, authorization, but, you know, nonetheless, like that's where we were back in May, right? Like, we just knew that, like, we had to get ourselves organized and, you know, <laughs> this built up to like, you know, you know, you meet every couple of weeks, you figure out what's going on, you get a feel on, on where people are at on the sales floor. And like, it really just comes down to like, you got to talk to the people that you work with on a daily basis, even if they yep. are not your friends. Right. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's like really that simple. Um, and you know, like this is Minnesota. So you know, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, not everybody, not everybody loves talking to people who aren't their friends in Minnesota. <laughs> so, no, they don't. They don't know. Yeah. Um, you know so you know it it was a lot of that just like getting a feel for where people were at um you know I think like being at the co-op in particular people you know have this I I would say like correct idea that the majority of the workers are maybe a little more radical or a little more militant than Mm. like your average shop floor right because like the co-op kind of attracts like that like more radical tendency more times than not, not always, but, you know, usually. Um, But like, I wouldn't say that, like, it made it easier for us to do this, you know, it's it's still Mm -hmm. really hard. Um, And, you know, we had started doing little stuff, like, uh, you know, we had done a march on the boss earlier in the year, where, you know, I think we had packed maybe 25-ish or so people to march on the boss to, to help out a fellow worker who just was put in a really shitty situation you know i Mm -hmm. won't go into details but you know and 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 it ended up ended up working out right like we marched and it worked um and things like that kind of started to build up this idea that like we as workers might hold a little more power than we might be giving ourselves credit for um you know and so yeah those wins
1: are those wins are super important so
0: i mean no exactly i mean they're so so important um because like like to be like a beaten up or apathetic worker is it's really, really difficult, right? Because it's hard to feel like you have any type of power mm-hmm. over the people who control your lives, right? The bosses, right? Like they work, they make your schedule. They determine how much you're going to get paid. They determine when you can and can't have days off, right? Yep. Um. So it's really hard to feel like you, like you can have power over them. And I mean, you know, we've proved that, you know, I, I think that we have a, a fair amount of power over exactly. them. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, like really, I mean, it, it was a lot of like boring ass meetings of getting together for like organizing committee meetings and and getting a feel for what people wanted. you know, wages were like the obvious thing, right? Like people needed more money. yep. Um, you know, and there were a lot of other little things that came up too in in the process. you know, like there was a new position that the, that the co-op had created um, like a year and a half or two years ago. Would, which is called the multi department clerk and essentially what it is is like it's kind of like the Trader Joe's role Whereas, like at Trader Joe's you don't like have a home department you kind you like work everywhere right for oh, sure um and so the co-op created this role as the lowest paying job in the store it's, it's considered a level 1 job in in our contract um which is the lowest part of the wage scale and essentially what it did was it brought workers in and they said okay we're going to hire you and you're going to work everywhere. You're not going to have a home department. Uh, people weren't getting trained in departments. So they're getting sent to work in places where they don't really know what they're doing. They don't have any type of set schedule, right? They come in, they expect to work like uh, in the grocery department. And then they get sent to work behind the juice bar and they're making coffee for people. And yeah. they haven't done that for three or four months, right? Or you know, nope. they're they think that they're going to be cashiering and then they get told that they got to go back and like cut up vegetables in the kitchen for four hours and they haven't done that for three months right and and it created like this like really really bad position for these workers right because they felt like they were misled when they got hired for these roles not only that um the organizing committee like we recognize that this role was an attempt by the co-op to undercut labor right? Because rather than having to actually assign people to jobs and adequately train them, we were noticing when like one person was, was leaving, quitting, whatever the grocery department, for example, they weren't rehiring somebody for the grocery department. They would wait until a second person left and then they would hire one multi-department clerk to to cover more stuff. Right. Um, And so like, you know, that was a role that like we attacked in bargaining. And frankly, like we won big in my opinion on that role Good. Um, b- because we ended up getting contract language where they have now agreed to limit that role to, to just two departments. Right. Sure. And we felt like that was fair. Um, and like that one, you know, we didn't really get that until the very end, but that was something that we stuck to our guns on because early on in organizing, it was extremely clear that this was important, not just for workers now, but for the viability of, of the union in the future. Right. Because we yep. were seeing this multi-department clerk role. Um, you know, we, we did an info request and in bargaining and we saw that out of the, you know, don't quote me on this number, but yes, <laughs> like four, like 40 to 50 people that had been hired for this role just this year. And, and it had, had 50% turnover. Right. Mm -hmm. Just this year. And like, that's even high for retail. Right. And it was just turning over people. And we recognized that uh, the co-op had admitted to us that this position was the future of the co-op. And so we said, well, so if that's the case, you're basically not going to be able to have a rank and file that cares about this job or organizing within the union whatsoever, because everybody that works here is going to be underpaid. They're going to be overworked and they're going to quit within the first year. Right. You know, and so like we attack that and we got a huge win out of it, in my opinion, you know, um, and, you know, I think uh, of everything. That's one of the things that I think like uh, we as like rank and file are like most proud of being able to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's very big. I mean, I mean this is a part of the ongoing, you know, deprofessionalization of workplaces and work categories in general. I mean, they want to do the same thing to. To nurses. I ended up leaving the hospital, but I mean, there were some hospitals where they wanted to create, you know, a float pool, like across the whole hospital system. So again, basically it would be one step away from like a traveling nurse. Basically they plug you into whatever place you're going to go and you really have no idea what you're doing. And you really haven't had any training on the unit. I mean, the same thing, you know, with the deep deprof- professionalization of the teaching world. I mean, this is what the, you know, this is what the bosses want. They want a cog that they plug in wherever they want. And that person just does a job for as little as possible. Um, You know, again, and this is all stuff that, you know, people have worked for to professionalize these roles and to get access to the training they need. Um, You know, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And you know, this, this inflation is huge. I mean, like, like you said, during the, during the height of the pandemic, you know, People saw that they were essential workers. Um, you know, I think there was, in addition to maybe apathy, there was this idea that you know we were all sacrificing for our communities and our families and people and all this right. stuff, you know, to like get to get through this whole thing. And then you know what we forgot is that you know is that the bosses and those in charge will take advantage of that, you know, to the exponential degree. And so they've tried to force through all this BS and all these workplaces to. Um, you know, to get as much out of it as they can for their bottom line profits or in the nonprofit world that, you know, a lot of nurses work in revenue above expenditure or whatever the heck they call it that isn't profits, um, but helps to get their uh, six figure salaries for their executives. Um, you know, so I I uh, uh, I was going to move on a little bit. I read the um, Fight Back News piece about your organizing, and I know it had mentioned during mm-hmm. the um, organizing, uh, I know there was at one point, you know, management at the co-op walking out of the bargaining session and refusing to come back. Um, I know that, um, you know, some people probably think that co-ops, you know, run very differently than other grocery stores. Uh, you know, full disclosure, I'm a member of Seward co-op. I know they have the Seward co-op friendship store. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, yet we've seen this kind of behavior from them, them, you know, refusing to bargain, you know, our co-ops run differently than other grocery stores. And, you know, if folks are members of Seward co-op, you know, and think that workers' rights are important, which I think a lot of them do, are there things that they can do uh, to address workers' concerns, support workers, and, you know, show ongoing solidarity and that kind of thing, even though, you know, the, the, the whole, the contract for right now is settled?
0: Yeah, so it's, Yes. So that's a complicated answer, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, but it, it is, it is a very good, uh, question. So, I mean, that's kind of what made this whole process, um, difficult and also very different from maybe organizing in another grocery store. Right. Like ultimately, you know, like your goals are still the same. Um, but you know, I mean, For transparency, you know, I've been a member at Seward Co-op for, you know, I'm, I'm 34 years old. Um, I've been a member there since I was probably like 18 or 19. Right. Um, And I had been shopping there, you know, on and off, you know, before that, because I grew up in South Minneapolis. Um, You know, so, you know, like I, I have uh, like, I have an affiliation to the co-op outside of working there myself too. Right. Um, and so I think there is this kind of disillusion on the outside that because these co-ops, and this isn't even specific to Seward co-op, right? Like I would say the broader co-op movement as it exists, like here mm-hmm. in Minneapolis, which is, you know, consumer owned co-ops, um, because a lot of people right. mix up the idea of a consumer owned co-op. As and opposed a worker to worker, co-op.
1: worker co-ops. Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Um, And and I think because of the type of, um, I don't know, we'll call it flowery language that that these co-ops like to put out, right? Um, You know, they use words like equity, um, you know, they use words like social justice and, you know, all of these things and those are all great things. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, there is this like kind of, not kind of, there is this like neoliberal co-optation of, of language and social movements within the city at large, um, in order to like garner support. Right. And like, uh, and you know, like if, if you're an activist and organizer, like you, like you know that this happens, right. Like you have seen it, you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. You know, like these, these liberal movements, they, they take over, um, uh radical positions radical language and they totally bastardize it decontextualize it from like any type of revolutionary thought right yep and you know like the cop is no different right um and and they do similar things um i would argue most of these these words that they tout are great things but i would also argue that the cops don't actually know what those words mean like Mm. like in practice right because like you can't just say that you that you are in community and that you believe in equity, right? If like fundamentally like you have workers that are behind on the rent or like right. workers that literally are getting their electricity shut off, right? Like that's not equity, right. um, you know? So like there's this theory and then there's the practice of it, um, you know? So like in that sense, like it's not really that different. Um, where it is different, right. Is that it's a consumer owned co-op, meaning that like, you know, there's not like this big capitalist at, at the end of bargaining, right. Like there's, you know, there's not that thing. So it does change it a little bit, right. Like the co-op works under the structure that, um, you you know, you you still technically buy a share of the co-op, um, but nobody can own more than a single share, right? So it's, it's you know, supposed to be this democratic process where everybody gets a say. Um, but where that kind of breaks down, I would say, is that, like, within all of that um, – there aren't like these big owners, these big capitalists, but what we have now in the co-op movement in Minneapolis, specifically because the co-ops have been around so long, they've grown to excess, in my opinion, that they create these insular structures of like power, um, like almost like a labor aristocracy in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. Where like we have... We have these bosses who, who are not in union, right? And and we have some like lower tier bosses too who are not in the union. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, personally I would argue should be in our union. But you yeah. know, like we're talking about like the big bosses in these co-ops. We're talking like, you know, whatever they're called, the CEO, the general <laughs> manager, the right. store managers, like these are people that are making six figures, right? Right. And like th- like these positions and these jobs and these wage structures. Don't come out of thin air, right? Like they create these positions for themselves. Right. And so like what happens is rather than having to kind of battle with like these big capitalists who are like uh who are accumulating all of this profit, we're kind of more battling with this upper echelon of management who creates these positions for themselves, who creates higher wage structures for themselves, and ultimately like. What they're most concerned with is defending the position that they have, right? Um, because that's how that's how class society works, right? Right. Like they are they are primarily concerned with maintaining the job that they have, maintaining uh, the social status they have, maintaining the wages that they have, right? Like if you make one hundred twenty five thousand dollars a year, chances are um, you're going to do what you can to ensure that you keep that one hundred twenty five thousand dollar year job, right? Um, and so like, there's, there's a lot of that within the co-ops. Um, there's not a lot that make, you know, $125,000 a year, but there, Uh, there are a lot of these positions that make a lot more money than your rank and file union members. Um, and so like, you kind of have to contend with that, um, within bargaining as far as like, okay, yeah. Like we understand that there's not like this excess of profits that, that, you know, these capitalists are hoarding that we're trying to get our hands on. But we, what we do know fundamentally is that the wage structure between unionized staff and non-unionized staff is very inequitable. Um, and, right. and that's something that we really, really tried to attack. Um, you know, I mean, we we did our wear your wage campaign, uh, which uh, I actually see is actually kind of going national, which is super cool. Um, awesome. But... But, you know, so, I mean, like, uh, this is kind of something else different, but it, it's related to, to this wage thing, is that, you know, like, sometime at the beginning of, of us actually getting into bargaining, um, we had tried to bring up how little we felt we were making and how much our financial lives were a genuine struggle for us on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. And we felt as though management did not hear it and did not value it. Whether that's true, I don't know, but (laughs) I'm telling you that, you know, that was, that was the feeling that we got. And, you know, we had, we had been discussing wages with one another for, you know, a few months, which uh, I think in this day and age is a radical prospect to like talk Mm -hmm. about wages. Um, If there's anything that comes from this, it's Discuss your wages with you. Oh,
1: absolutely. Workers. Yeah. Because
0: so, so much of this came from that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we had, um, uh, a fellow worker, um, <clears throat> who had advocated for us literally wearing our wages, like on our chest and on our masks. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we started this campaign where, uh, people were putting their hourly wage either like on their mask in store or they were wearing it on like a big sticker on their chest.
2: Um,
0: and like what it really did was like, it gave us a sense of, of solidarity with one another. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you're really putting yourself out there to do it because right. like, like putting your wage out there publicly is, is not something that we are, uh, that, that we are led to believe that we should be doing in, <laughs> right. in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, like we started seeing people, like I saw a cashier who, you know, I think it said like, I think it was like 16, 25 an hour, something like that. Mm. And on her sticker, she wrote 30 years of grocery experience. <laughs> That's and crazy. Yeah, and, and, yeah, absolutely. and right. and it, And it opened up a lot of those conversations with each other. Um, it also opened up the conversation for for members and, and shoppers yep. who came in. But you know, like that was secondary, honestly. The the important part was the solidarity with each other. Mm-hmm. Um and, and it and it ended up working really well because it showed management that we were together. It showed management that we were participating in a collective action and a show of solidarity with one another. Um, you know, and like that whole thing kind of took off. Like if if you've been following half price books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're UFCW siblings along with us and, um, the UF's, um, sorry, the, the half price books workers here in the twin cities saw what we were doing and they started doing it themselves and, and they took it and ran with it. They started doing like huge signs, like on their chests <laughs> and on their backs. And, and it's so, it's so awesome to see. And I just happened to see, um, I think on Instagram just this last week, um, Powell's Books out in Portland, who's like, you know, like one of the most famous uh, independent booksellers in the country. Um, their workers saw, mm-hmm. uh, saw the Half Price Books workers doing it and Powell's Books workers have started doing it now. And mm-hmm. like- to me, I'm like, this is, this is power, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, and this is what solidarity looks like, right? Like you build this movement, you, you build these ideas and like, I don't know, I I would love to see in the next year, just like all sorts of people in all sorts of different workplaces, just wearing their wages, you know? (laughs) Um, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, I digress from the point a little bit, but, um, but yeah, I mean uh, to get back to the point, Um, Yeah, I mean, co-ops aren't that much different. I think that they believe that they are. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's maybe a more community-oriented Whole Foods at this point, you know, (laughs) Um, which is really unfortunate to say um, because, like, uh, you know, as we exist in the city and as, you know, as we exist in the structure as it is, you know, like, I I, I do believe in the co-op for what it can be right now. And, you know, I think a lot of us just felt like, you know, they just fell short of those of those ideals and those values, just like fundamentally.
1: Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, yeah, I think that's. uh uh the case and you know these these like you were saying these these co-ops have grown significantly a lot of these places started you know in a tiny little storefront or some of them started in people's houses or on their porches and you know part of the impetus there originally was because of high food prices and so you know we see these um you know prices going up and as you said you know the the um the co-ops aren't some huge behemoth that is driving up prices but definitely within the capitalist class as a whole there is a lot of price gouging we've seen with uh yeah, United Auto Workers talking about how uh, astronomically the prices of vehicles have gone up, about how, you know, their wages could go up and the price of vehicles could go down, and they'd still still be <laughs> yeah. able to do okay if they took some money out of profits and out of the wages of these. <laughs> millionaire uh, uh owners um so i think you know that's why it's important to participate with other you know workers as well also participate in movements within the greater economy as a whole and you know political movements um you know on the streets and other things as well as participating in these uh movements as workers and i think you know the workers have a huge part to play in making the the co-op movement better uh you know and improving it and um you know having workers that stick around is good for those uh you know consumers that participate in the co-op as well because you know, again, if you have just workers that are going to every department, they don't get training, you know, <laughs> that that's not the kind of, uh, you know, uh, people you want to have, like, you know, supporting the the co-op when you go there. You want, you know, knowledgeable people, people that have experience, um, you know, working in the different areas of the co-op that can, you know, share information with you and that stuff. And I think that's what, you know, the co-op has been in the uh, in the past. And so, again, to just, you know. Uh, push to the lowest common denominator for for workers there and throw them into places where they don't have any training they don't have the sport and again like you said there's this huge turnover is you know that's not what anybody in our um in our communities um you know anybody that goes to the co-op should want and certainly i'm sure it's not what the workers want they want a job that they can uh, rely on for the long term like you said to pay their rent um yeah no sorry, I, but, I mean no and go ahead I, I i mean to that point you
0: know i you know i'm i'm sure like you know we'll get into it but I, that's like a really important thing actually is this idea that workers have a future there mm. because the overwhelming majority of workers believe in the co-op right like they believe in the values and the mission right and they they want to be there mm-hmm. um but you can't be there if you can't pay your bills right like you can't you can't be there long-term if you're having to go to the food shelf for groceries, right. When you literally work in a grocery store. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And like the, the day after we got our full tentative agreement and uh, the next morning I worked at 6am and um, and I, I tried to do my best to get around to just about every worker that I could to explain to them the type of wages and raises that they were going to be getting because, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll get into this, but, uh, the dollars that we got was it's, it's written out as $5 over three years, but it's really misleading because we're getting a lot more than that. Mm. Um, and so when I'm explaining to people, no, actually you're going to get $2 and 15 cent raise right now, immediately. (laughs) Um, and then telling them that you're still gonna get your 50 cent annual work anniversary raise in between next year yep and then you're gonna get another dollar fifty in August of 2024 and explaining to people that when you do that math that's four dollars and fifteen cents in raises in 11 months just mm. these first 11 months and like the looks on people's faces is like, I mean, it means so much. It's so important. Like I I literally, I can't describe the levels of just like actual sheer joy on so many people's faces when they hear that Mm -hmm. because you're making $17 an hour, which, you know, as we know is not enough. No, And you're hearing that you're going to be over $21 an hour within a year, but you're going to be over 19 now, right? And even though 21 is not enough, right? But these are real life-changing uh numbers that people got and just going and talking to each person the the first morning of and like there were multiple people who were like tearing up there were mm. um there were multiple people that told me wow i can actually stay working here now right which is you know getting back to to like the initial point was that like there were so many people that were like I've been looking for another job, not because I didn't want to work here, but because I couldn't afford to work here. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like the types of, of of uh dollars that we got just on like the bottom line for raises for people, like actually changes people's lives because they feel like they have a future at the co-op now. And they actually have life changing money where like this is an extra three four hundred dollars a month, which mm-hmm. like for any working person knows like that's a lot of money in your paycheck. Is right. it enough? Of course not.
2: <laughs> but like
0: like like th- that's like super real money. That's a that's like three four bills potentially to be able to pay that you mm-hmm. couldn't before. You know. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I just I just like wanted to say that really quick. Like on that, no, idea of, like longevity working at 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 any place, let alone the co op.
1: Well, yeah, I, you know, I, I really appreciate you speaking with me. I, you know, I don't have a whole bunch of other questions. Is there anything else you want to share specifically uh, before you go? We have a few minutes left here. Uh,
0: Yeah. I mean, I think like the, the one other thing I I'd say is that like, you know, like this happened uh, because we, as the workers collectively built an actual militant rank and file within the store. And I, I really, really appreciate and respect UFCW 663 for allowing us the ability to do that. Because there were times where we were more militant than I think you might think that a union of UFCW stature would allow for. Mm. But we pushed and they let us go, you know? Um, we organize ourselves a lot of times. We We continue, we have a contract now we are still marching on the boss. We marched on the boss this past weekend. We brought fifteen people in a room to defend a worker, right? Yep. And this is after we got a contract.
1: Yeah, don't um, give it up. I mean, that's what no, happens a lot. Okay. Do not give it up. You have to keep no. that structures and all the stuff happening. Yep. And and like that's what we
0: did, right? You know, like we mm-hmm. authorized a, a a strike at a historic rate for UFCW we we did a walkout we marched through the store and chanted we had 100% um uh participation in our walkout we marched through the stores and customers and members joined us chanting who are we 663 you know That's and great. like w- like we got to this point because we were militant
1: mm-hmm. well i i really appreciate that y'all have done amazing work and uh it was really great to speak with you Thanks so much uh thank you anthony
0: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) Take care. Yes, yeah.
1: And that's our special interview. Thanks for listening.
2: Solidarity. This has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.